Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it weird. What? What? What is happening, weirdos? I mean, I mean that literally. How did how did we get Rivers Cuomo from Weezer on this podcast? It's incredible, and I want you to listen to it. And I want to thank Tom Osborne, who works in the music industry, who is our inside weirdo. He's a fan of this podcast, and I met him at a show for the National. And for years now, uh, he's hooked us up, and I do mean us. Uh, you guys and me, with wonderful musician guests, and I owe him so, so, so much, and uh, this is just another one on the pile of wonderful Tom Osborne episodes, so thank you, Tom. Uh, I'm so excited for you guys to hear this. Unfortunately, uh, Rivers was doing press, so he only had an hour, uh, but we got through a lot. He gave some wonderful answers, and we had a really nice chat, so I'm happy about that. So let's get to it, as I always say. Uh, Our sponsor, I'm so happy to say, is Patton Oswalt, who has a new Netflix special. He is back from hiatus. He is a comedy legend. He's a friend of mine. He's been on this show. He did a one-night special at the Athenium Theater. (laughs) I could say Athenium, but not theater. Athenium Theater in Chicago. Our friend Patton Oswalt with Annihilation. It's on Netflix now. He tells his views on social media, uh, the current political climate, and being tickled. Oh, I'm sorry. Not tickled. I guess you could be tickled by robocalls, but being tricked by robocalls. I fucked that up right at the end. But the point is, from the heart, you should watch Patton Oswalt Annihilation. It's on Netflix now. So get into that. He's, he's a wonderful comedian. Obviously, check that out. I also have some Largo shows coming up. November 9th, I am doing my uh, special um, kind of book live workshop. I'm working on a book about God and uh, Joseph Campbell and Ram Dass and Rob Bell and my kind of the story of my relationship with the church and everything. And I will be workshopping that live at Largo on November 9th. The show is called Pete's New Book Show. And on December 6th, I will be doing my regular stand-up show. Last time, I don't know, for those of you that were at the one in October, uh, Larry David, Judd Apatow, it was incredible. I mean, <laughs> these, are, these are wonderful shows. These are the shows that I always invite my friends to, so I want you guys to know about them as well. I also want to give a shout-out to the Pete's Picks. Pete's Picks! Pete's Picks! Uh, you guys know these by now. These are products that I love and use uh, almost every single day, if not every single day. Alpha Brain, definitely taking it every day. This is a nootropic. It means it's fish food for your brain and your ideas, for your memory, for your concentration, for your focus, for access to your vocabulary, for access to your conversational skills and your creativity. I always take Alpha Brain about two or three, 15 minutes before every episode of this podcast for years. Anytime I'm writing a script, anytime I'm doing stand up, Anytime I'm just going to a party and want to be alert and my best self, I take Alpha Brain beforehand. It's earth-grown ingredients. It's not a stimulant. It's not like caffeine. It just helps your brain work. Even though I always think I make this clear, I still daily get messages where people are like, do you really take Alpha Brain? I'm like, yes, guys, seriously. I reached out to them to say, I love this product. Can we get them a promo code? 
they said yes. On it, O-N-N-I-T dot com slash weird gets you 10% off your purchase. So get into it. They also have the MCT oil, which we've been talking about. I enjoy that as well on the same site. Also, Charlotte's Web Hemp Oil. I had the Stanley Brothers, the inventors of Charlotte's Web, on this podcast. That's how much I love this product. It is hemp oil, but is the CBD part, which means they take out the THC, which means it is not psychoactive. It doesn't get you stoned or high. It just gives you a happy, healthy, low-anxiety, low-pain glow that I trust and swear by. As I always say, it's good for middle seats on an airplane. It's good for like a weird road trip with a toddler that's kicking the back of your seat. Whatever it might be, if I'm in a situation where I'm feeling anxiety, stress, or a light pain, I take a little bit of the Everyday Advanced Mint Chocolate Charlotte's Web Hemp Oil. It tastes like a thin mint, but it makes you feel even better. It's a wonderful product, and I want you to try it. All you got to do is go to cwhemp.com slash weird and use promo code KEEPITCRISPY for 10% off. And uh, Val, I'm glad you're here. Our other uh, our other sponsor is... Uh, ZipRecruiter. Oh, ZipRecruiter. <laughs> ZipRecruiter. Oh, yeah, ZipRecruiter. Yep. Are you hiring? Hey, are you hiring? <laughs> I'm looking for a job. Are you hiring? <laughs> No, I mean, like, are you looking for people to work for you? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? What if hiring could be easier, more streamlined, and less time-consuming? So even when you're busy, you could still be smart about the way you hire. I don't know, but if you are, you know that quality hires keep your business moving forward, but you also know it takes a lot of time to find the right candidate for the job with a zip recruiter. Zip Recruiter, Zip Recruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. Then Zip Recruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting so you can receive the best possible matches. That's why Zip Recruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, Zip Recruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you, Zip Recruiter finds them. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. No juggling emails or calls. You simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter. <laughs> the smartest way to hire. Uh, find out why ZipRecruiter has been used by all businesses of all sizes and all industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. You can sign up for free. All you have to do is go to ZipRecruiter.com slash homes to try it and show your support of this podcast. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash homes. ZipRecruiter. Not ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter.com slash homes. Okay, guys. Hope to see you at Largo for my book show on November 9th or December 6th. And uh, try a Pete's Pick and uh, watch Patton Special. And thank you, Zip Recruiter. Uh, I think you guys are going to enjoy this. This is one of my faves. Uh, get into it. Yeah, that was confusing because into is one. Yeah, it was. <laughs> we got there. Get into it. Rivers Cuomo. How did this happen? Ooh, yeah, I look just like Buddy Holly. I thought you were going to say Rivers Cuomo. I look just like Rivers Cuomo. That was the first draft. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You just sang it. Yeah, I was just like... Enjoying the remembering? Yeah. I love you. I love you too. It's such a pleasure to meet you, man. Thank you for having us. Yeah. What space is this for you? Is this where you do your solo recording stuff? Is this where you did Alone? 
and all that sort of stuff? Uh, well, I've only been in this, in this house for a year. Oh, should I hold this? Yeah. <laughs> you can. I've only been in this house for a year, uh, but since this is kind of um, where I, I do everything, all my writing and yeah. for Weezer, for recently put out a song with a band called AJR and a, a band called New Politics and pretty much whatever I'm doing is in here. That's fun. I yeah. love the plants. I think there's there's something to be said about living things, green things, uh, calming us down. They say that like 15 minutes in a green space lowers your blood pressure or something. Oh, really? Ridiculous. So I, I think this is so perfect, living things, because creativity feels like a plant sometimes, right? Yeah. Slow. <laughs> Slow, steady. Um, I like the way... I don't know what exactly it's doing to the air in here, but... I'm sure it's cleaning it up quite a bit. Yeah, and I guess because we're constantly watering, it's, it just makes the air feel more humid. Yeah, it's perfect. Counteracts the dry Southern California thing. Absolutely. Are you a nature person? I don't know why I felt like uh, maybe you were a city person, like a city kid. Maybe it's the sneakers you wear. Um, <laughs> well, I grew up in... Uh, small town small farm town in upstate connecticut so okay um yeah i miss i miss the green and and being out in the woods yeah so but um as soon as i could after graduating high school i moved straight to hollywood and was just loving the city at that point so i guess i'm right on the border but now in this time of your life you could pretty much i mean one of the great things about music when i was listening to alone uh your your uh employee just asked you how the new stuff is sounding and you said new and i thought that's funny because when i listen to alone it sounds like something you would record alone and i mean that as a compliment it has that sort of internal feel and you could kind of do that anywhere but you stay in a city you stay in los you could be in denver you could be in seattle you could be wherever you like so is there something you like about la still yeah, and specifically the West Side. Yeah, there's pretty pretty much uh, nobody else is out here. Um, is maybe Butch Walker who produced our album is is out here, and yeah. I think we're the only. I mean, Lana Del Rey I think works out here. I think so, but um, it's pretty rare. Most people are on the East Side. Totally, and that's where I came from. <laughs> yeah, it's, and there's it's just really hard to get from one side to the other. So, but I get the appeal of that. You're kind of protected by about 90 minutes of traffic. <laughs> like, yeah. so, like who you see really wants to see you, yeah. who you want to be with all that sort of stuff. I don't I don't love that. I wish I could be more in the mix, but um mm. I am I'm almost superstitious about Santa Monica because when I was 20 right after Hollywood working at Tower Records, I moved to Santa Monica to go to Santa Monica City College mm. and immediately my music started changing and i wrote the sweater song interesting and my name is jonas this and is like radiohead and uh aren't they in oxford or something they they associate their mojo with where they live oh really they don't want to leave yeah that's how i feel that um, makes so much sense there's just some chemistry between me and this particular spot on the map yeah and then there's also i was driving around it's so affluent but it's also the part of california that reminds me the most of kind of like a spiritual india feel like you see women who look very i actually thought of one of your lyrics very beautiful and clean but also like wearing malas <laughs> you know like <laughs> sandals and i was like it's a very strange thing i wonder what india thinks of us that <laughs> the part of the country that resonates most with 
Eastern philosophy is also the most affluent. Yeah. Well, it's Santa Monica's changed a lot since I first moved here. Um, it's, it definitely seems a lot more affluent and, uh, yeah, it's, it's this really weird mix of, um, I mean, there's lots of great vegetarian food, which is great for me. Yeah. Lifelong vegetarian. And, um, did you ever go to make, it was on the promenade. It was a oh. vegan restaurant. It was, yeah, I think it was I did. so good. It was my favorite place. I, we used to drive all the way over here just to go to make. It was so good. Yeah, and like um, Friday, we're going to tour Europe and Germany, and um, I just know it's going to be brutal for yeah. to try to find vegetarian anything without home of like, the schnitzels. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I totally understand. So I, I'm a vegan, and when I go on the a vegan. I, I uh, meaning I'm fish? flexible. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sometimes I eat fish, uh, but it's for flexible. I, I appreciated on one of the newer records, you had a joke, I call it a joke, about taking one for the team, eating meat with your oh, wife's yeah. parents or whatever. Loaf, yeah. And I was like, I think that's really funny because there are those situations. <laughs> I always cite when a little girl gives me a cookie and I know there's eggs and milk in it. I, I just uh-huh. eat the cookie. Yeah. But I think it's interesting people have such hard rules on themselves. I think there would be more people maybe being vegetarian or vegan if they didn't consider it like a club that you could get kicked out of at any moment just for eating meatloaf in your case. Yeah. Well, I was raised vegetarian, so it's really deep. It's it's hard for me to take one for the team and, and just say, <laughs> well, you know, this lady's grandmother made it and has chicken in it, but I'll eat it anyway. It's, it's really tough. Yeah. It must be hard on your stomach too. I mean, it's not easy to digest that stuff if you in my experience. I don't remember having like any adverse physical reaction. It was more just um you know, kind of like the disgust emotional reaction. Um but I was you know, when I was thirty or so I tried to become a meat eater. Really? Yeah. And every day I would have these meat dishes delivered to my house and I'd try to force myself to eat it. Wait, why? What was the thinking? I'm, I'm trying to remember. Um, I know I was reading a lot of Nietzsche at the time and it was just like will to power. And if, if you're not dominating the world as much as you possibly can, then that means you're not courageous. I'm, tr- I'm just trying to remember the calculus in my mind. But anyway, I, I, I thought it was immoral to be a vegetarian, and I, I just really, I went for it. And Immoral in the sense that being courageous is like a higher virtue than being kind to animals or something? Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> I, I, I don't know Nietzsche very well, but I think that's an interesting idea that it's like one of the higher virtues to be a conqueror and to yeah. really... Like Chris Rock's bit, like if you're lucky enough to eat a cow, bite the shit out of it. That's what it, that's what he says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Well, so I, you tried. I, I'm sure I was misunderstanding what I was reading, and I may be misremembering what I was thinking, but I went for it, and um, it, it never caught on. Yeah, that's very interesting. I, I uh, boy, you just made me think of three things, and, and they're all gone. <laughs> which is fine and and you didn't it didn't take it didn't feel good it didn't feel right i just couldn't get past the thought of of what i was eating where um, it came from yeah yeah and and are you the type of person i i get the feeling you might be because we were just talking on the way in about how in the morning i feel more creative i'm always kind of looking at the chemistry of what makes me more creative? And one of the things that helps me with creativity and just a happy life is doing the opposite of what I've been doing. Mm. So when you say you started eating meat, the thing that's most appealing, 
about that. It's not that I miss meat. It's that I love knocking myself off my axis. Do you, do you relate to that? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, recently, I just trying to uh, shake things up. Um, er, every day for 10 days, I have to go up to uh, a woman that I don't know and tell her something about her that I think is beautiful. Really? Yeah, and, and it's completely terrifying to me. Is that to counteract the fear, or is it to counteract some sort of prudishness you were raised with that it's not polite to do Pro- that? Probably all, all of the above. Yeah. I yeah. remember in therapy once, I saw a beautiful woman in line at a coffee shop. She just looked great. It wasn't like over the top. It was just like exactly what I thought was beautiful. And I talked about it in therapy, and he was like, why didn't you tell her? And I was like, what am I, a construction worker? I'm not going to be like, hey, what? Like, yeah. what is gained? And he was like, well, she might feel nice if you politely yeah. tell her. Has that been your experience when you tell these people? Yeah. So, Well, so far, I, um, I've only been in situations where I have my, my superhero cape on, which is, you know, um, like, the girl who's doing my hair and makeup and she knows who I am. Or, <laughs> you literally mean the cape. Well, the, not, the hair li- not li- cape. I, I'm in a situation where I, f- I feel somewhat, um, power, powerful and protected. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I Very have Nietzsche. <laughs> yeah. It's not like I'm going into a Starbucks and interrupting a woman as she's reading a book. Right. And saying, I just had to tell you, I, I think you're, but Your you smile could. is beautiful. Maybe that's how you'll... I got I to gotta get there. <laughs> it's funny how many friends I have that fall in love with hair makeup people because it is, I think for creative types, a safe environment where it's like, we know the rules. There's kind of like a base level of respect going both ways mm-hmm. and it's safe. So you like, it's almost like a cliche to flirt with the hair makeup person because it's so safe and mm-hmm. they kind of do it back and it's, it's just kind of part of showbiz. So I completely understand that. Yeah, so that, that's as far as I've gotten so far. <laughs> but it's been successful. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you um, tell it, them, uh, just so you know, I'm doing this because I'm trying to, or do you just go, I, I think you have a beautiful no, smile? No, I don't think it's important to get into all that, because what I'm saying is true. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not just making something up. Uh, it's my honest reaction. and So far, everyone seems to be happy to, to, to hear somebody say something nice about them. Yes, <laughs> I know. I, we're not that different. If somebody w- was like, I really like that shirt. That's, that is a great shirt. It just kind of feels nice. You go like, oh, thank you. It's so simple. Yeah. It's like these spells we can cast on each other. Does that make sense? To say something, to, to make just, a compliment. Yes, but it, it, it changes yeah. the chemistry. The, the, that lonely yeah. kind of purple, black, swirling inner world can yeah. be affected with a sparkler. If you just go like, I really like that shirt, Rivers. And, and we're like, what, what was, what's the harm? It's exactly. Right. I think that's super fun. And yet there's so so much resistance to even trying it. I suppose. I guess people start to feel objectified. Is that kind of how we stopped doing I'd, that? I'd be worried about that, yeah. I, I mean, I've certainly been worried, yeah. Or, you know, um, maybe she's going to think I'm a creep, or maybe she is her husband's uh, in the bathroom, he's coming out in a second. Kick his ass, sea yeah. bath sort of situation. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. Well, I feel like we ruined it in the 50s and 60s. That's when everybody was a doll face and, and a sweetheart. Right. Like when I watched Mad Men, I couldn't believe how people were throwing around sweetheart. I was like, that's girlfriend only. And people are like saying it to receptionists yeah. and women in elevators. So they ruined a good thing. Yeah. That and cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've lately gone back to taking cold showers in the morning. They're, first of all, they're like 30 seconds long. I can't do it. But I was talking to somebody about it, and they were like, it just sets the day 
that you're doing something that you don't want to do, very much like you tackling this fear of compliments, which I completely understand, just starting the day with something that you didn't want to do that you survived. Mm. You know what I mean? It, it almost sounds like a military technique, but I mean it in the most humble ways. It's just like, at least I did that. Mm. <laughs> and it kind of gets the ball rolling. Yeah, I'm reminded of that swallow the frog from Mark Twain, you know that expression? Oh, remind me. It sounds familiar. He, yeah, he said he said you should start every day by swallowing a frog, which is <laughs> like do the do the one thing you're least looking forward to do and then the rest of the day can only get better. <laughs> I love I haven't heard that. Swallow the frog because it hurts, right? I mean like writing. I, I wonder what it's like for you, but for me it's it can be wonderful. It can make time disappear. It can yeah. when you're in that pocket, yeah. it really can feel even divine, like you're just like, wow, I'm doing kind of what I meant to do. You're writing the sweater song in Santa Monica. You're, you even said yourself, you're in tune with a locale and you're in tune with yourself and you create something that a lot of people love and that you love. I mean, trying to get into that space and hack your way into that space, but it's also very painful, mm-hmm. right? I mean, <laughs> writing for me is not the painful thing. Mm. Um, what does it feel like for you? Writing? Yeah. Um, it's 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 pretty darn fun like i i love it i i have uh i never feel at a loss for ideas because i just have these big stockpiles i have folders and folders of mp3s that uh, i've recorded over the decades just like a lick or a song or yeah it could be anything from a lick to a full song really yeah and then i have a list of hundreds of titles and (laughs) themes and concepts and then um, hundreds of drafts, uh, unfinished lyrics, and thousands of lines that I think are cool, um, either from my journals or taken from the uh, slogan on a T-shirt or a line in a movie. Like a morning pages, sort of like you. you my journals, you yeah. I do, I do morning pages. You literally. do do the yeah. artist way stuff, yeah. And then after you do like a free form writing journal, you go back and maybe circle or highlight things that might be lyrics. Yeah, um, I've done that. I find that morning pages is mostly junk. Like there's not a lot of cool language in there, mm-hmm. um, but sometimes. Because um, you're just trying to get your subconscious to take the wheel, right? And and it's and your subconscious kind of sounds like an idiot sometimes. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah I'm very so often. Horny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you 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 have an embarrassment of riches. You have a lot of material. Yeah, a lot of stuff to to start things rolling. Yes. And so it's it's like starting a new song is never painful. So it's, oh, let's let's combine this title with this riff and really whoa, and then you know everything just starts flying. That's so exciting. I was just rewatching the Netflix Tom Petty documentary, and he really talked about writing songs and having no idea what it was about. Which th- this doesn't sound like what you're doing as much as you're doing tons of creative stuff and then finding puzzle pieces in different piles. Is yeah. that about right? Yeah, that's about right. And I often feel like I'm collaborating, even if it's just with myself, because some of the ideas are very old. Mm. There's a song on our new album um, called Weekend Woman that the verse is from 2000. Mm. So 17 years old. Mm. I don't remember. (laughs) I don't remember. It it just feels like I'm writing. It's somebody else's idea. Yes. So I get the benefits of of like uh, this kind of like this fresh idea coming in. Right. Um, 
although I don't have to deal with the cost of having another human there preventing me from right. really going deep. And you don't have to hurt anybody's feelings if you're like, well, that's yeah. kind of a garbage <laughs> idea. You can be very frank and move quickly. Yeah. But I think that's interesting. I, I read somewhere that you like Eminem, and I think it's interesting when you're talking about working with yourself uh, and different versions of yourself. Like uh, the 17-year-old Rivers is very different from today. And that's one of the things I appreciate about Eminem is that he seems to understand that we all have like our dark, weird side and our the father side and the middle side and you know, like sort of Freudian thing. So I, I completely get that. And I wonder if that's why maybe you like what he does. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I was just amazed at the, the productivity of his mind and the just the crazy lines and the energy of the rhythms and his vocal delivery. And mm. um, I don't know much about how he, how he writes, but I seem to remember reading a book maybe 10 years ago that described something similar to what I do where he knows he'll write one line. He knows what the, how it ends, what the rhyme is at the end. And then he'll just write a list of 20, 30 words as options to follow that up. Yeah, and that inspires what the next lines are going to be, hmm. and so that's that's often what it, what I'll do is um, I just I have one line, and then I can look at my database of thousands of other lines. I can see which lines rhyme. Wow! And just start it's like mixing your own and rhyming dictionary. It's like it is. It's yeah. not a rhyming dictionary just of the words. It's of lines and phrases, sometimes spanning back many years yeah that's incredible and i this is all in google sheets and i have them tagged not just for rhyme but also for uh the meter and i see where the stresses are oh, you have yeah. put them into a database yeah <laughs> i picture you pouring over notebooks i mean it started in notebooks and i know some some writers now uh talk about use it's all in their phone yeah in the text document um but it's just a pain to sift through that that much material when right most of it doesn't have the right rhyme or meter. So uh, I just started tagging him and putting him in Google Sheets. That's so interesting. And to take it back a step, though, getting those lines, you said writing isn't that painful for you. What is your process? You do the morning pages in the morning. Do you kind of wait for it to hit you? Are you having a conversation? You go, oh, that's kind of an interesting way. Uh, little old three-chord me, and you just write that down. Uh, I've gone through different phases, but uh, now I... I'm dividing it up by day, so Monday I work on lyrics, Tuesday I work on verse, melodies, and structure, Wednesday I work on new hooks, and um, so I just kind of pick up where I left off, and mm. so Monday I'll look and I may have 20 different songs going, and I'll say, all right, which ones need some new uh, lyrics, and I'll just jump in. That's perfect. Because it seems to me like if one thing was all you were doing, and, and let me know if this is your thinking, it gets a little overwhelming. Like you stick on it. But if you're doing lyrics on Monday, I might get this wrong, and melody, verse melody on Tuesday, lyrics on Monday is getting a break. So those words can kind of go into your subconscious where they get kicked around and polished in a way that you can't do with your conscious mind. And then when you come back to it on Monday, do you find that they're a little bit more plastic a little bit more elastic is what i meant yeah that's absolutely right and i'm i'm not burnt out on writing lyrics all week and i can yes. jump in with a fresh perspective and yeah it uh, immediately things that confused me last monday will now suddenly be clear yeah i guess because they've been processed in my unconscious over the week right 
I completely relate to having it's almost like the old TVs. There's only a couple channels, but the the ability to just switch and put the other one aside and then just focus because it gets so overwhelming, right? I mean, it sounds to me like you've built a, a nice system to for me, it would combat the overwhelmingness of I can do anything. You know what I mean? I feel like yeah. sometimes too many possibilities can be crippling. It's like Jim Gaffigan has a funny joke about on a Saturday and you have seven things to do, so you just do none of them. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, I got to go to the post office. I got to get groceries. Like, oh, fuck everything. I'm just going to stay home. It's like, I completely get that. So the idea of Monday lyrics is really brilliant. I think that that alone is going to be wonderful for people to hear. Yeah, um, and if you talk to me in a year, I might say, that was a stupid idea. I don't know why I was right. doing that. I'm on, I'm and you're eating meat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. And um, I, I seem to remember when I was starting out in my early 20s, it was just like, I didn't think of it as all these discrete steps. It was more just like, oh, you just write a song and mm. it's just one thing um but now now more than ever i just i'm so aware of how many different hats you have to wear really yeah. if, if you're gonna write a song by yourself i i completely relate to that when you start and it's the pure time you're almost too naive to know what a bold endeavor it is yeah. <laughs> to write a song or a script or a joke. You're just kind of like, you just do it. Yeah. And now we have to almost trick ourselves. I mean, you now, I, I experienced this on a much smaller scale. You have the pressure of now you're Rivers Cuomo from Weezer. You enjoyed the an- anonymity of being a guy writing a song. And now it seems like we both have to find ways to hack ourselves into a more childlike, more innocent I'm just playing. Like mm. you play music, you yeah. know. Now we write music. <laughs> like what happened? And that's that's what's interesting about these techniques. I think that's great. And you have some success. Can you get into that playful place? Can music still be fun? Oh, absolutely! It's, not, it's, yeah, it's it super fun. Much. Yeah, <laughs> like, you do not seem like you're like I don't want to do this anymore. No, it's it's definitely my my happy zone. That's great. Yeah, that's so great. Performing's the hard part. You don't enjoy being on stage, which is like, which is what's so great about you is in your lyrics. I think what people relate to. I was just listening to again the Alone record on the way in, and you're talking about like, forgive me, I'm going to get it wrong, but some guy acts like he knows he has a big old dick, and I hate him. Does that sound familiar? It sounds really familiar. Yeah, it's how it's how one of the song (laughs) ends. It's very funny. It's like I don't remember. It's what almost that like the is. song is trailing out, and you're like, yeah, it's like he knows he has a big old. Oh, dick. oh yeah, okay, I remember that. And I fucking hate him, or something like yeah. that. And I was like, this <laughs> is what Weezer and and your work in general did for me and a lot of people was, this is a guy who doesn't want to be a rock star in tight leather pants going check out my bulge you're going isn't this embarrassing <laughs> like i wrote these songs and and now not even embarrassing it's just like you didn't get into it to strut like jagger and that i never related to mick jagger i was like who's this guy how much cocaine has he had <laughs> yeah well the, it's i had such mixed feelings because i mean when i was 11 12 years old i was lying in bed every night just imagining that um that uh in the inside of Kiss Alive 2, there's just this picture of them with the 
the flames, the pyro, and mm. um, <laughs> tigers, and um, you know the, the, the makeup, and it's just and 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 on their album you can hear fifteen thousand people screaming, and I mean that's definitely that was my dream, and then from my very first performance when I was fourteen, I was just like I, I walked up on stage to sing, and it was totally not like kiss it was i was just like terrified interesting looking down at my feet and you couldn't find your inner simmons <laughs> no I, I i just i felt like um i was i was burning up inside just with fear hmm. and um even once you went on stage the adrenaline didn't lift you out of it no um, interesting yeah it, it, it was it was such a disappointment and so that's kind of like been the struggle ever since. Wow. Because you were aiming for Kiss. I got to tell you, man, um, your song Take Control is something that I will put on. And I, will, I do comedy, so I should be getting enough. But there's something about the way that song plays that I was like, could you imagine going to an open mic, a comedy open mic, just having a guitar and instead of doing jokes, playing that, just the intro to the song. <laughs> and, and it would just get me like, I had my Kiss moment blasting your music but while i wish you could access that place the vulnerability comes through in the music in the lyrics and i think that has to attribute to your success but do you wish you could or have you found more inner simmons since that first time i go through different phases i mean right now i i think i i think i'm doing pretty pretty damn good on stage but it's it's I always feel just like this fish out of water, um, evolving different mechanisms to to survive and mm. and hopefully put on a good show. Hmm. In between songs and stuff, are you a, a banterer? Do you talk to them, or is it just like I can't? I'm I'm just thinking about the songs and the music. Aristotle seen you guys many times. I suppose he could answer that question. <laughs> you, yeah. you, you, but you, I'm interviewing you. Yeah, I mean. I've gone through different phases, but right, right now I'm really trying, trying to kick ass and you know really be there with the crowd and uh, look them in the eyes and and get excited with them. Yeah, is that a deliberate thing? Because this has been my trip lately. As I'm thinking about, they could just put your record on. They could just put my record on. You know, people fans could gather and put the record on, but they're paying for your presence. And you're a meditator, is my understanding. I also am very interested in what happens when someone like your band is really there. And you said looking at them and being there with them becomes an element to the show. That's the real Simmons move, is being like, I'm, I'm here too. <laughs> like, I hear you, I feel you, and I'm going to merge with you rather yeah. than play the record at you Does yeah that makes sense yeah and it's it's very comfortable for me to just sing and play and really concentrate on on the technique of what i'm doing it's enjoyable and i can get into a zone and i imagine that's what playing jazz is like but mm. um i don't i don't think that's the right mode i don't i don't think that's enough um uh, maybe if I was playing like a little room of like to 50 people, they, mm -hmm. I could take them with me, but um, there's, there's gotta be something more playing for I mean, you guys play huge crowds. Yeah. It's like Steve Martin quit stand up Cause he was like, this isn't 
this isn't comedy anymore. This is babysitting. So I have to imagine when hmm. there can be someone over here calling you <laughs> a dipshit <laughs> and 10,000 people don't know that's happening. But you know what I mean? It's hmm. almost like being a ball player or something. I don't know why I made it a heckle, but like it doesn't matter. It could be a positive thing as yeah. well, but it's not as much of a shared experience. So then it seems like your approach would be the good show. I don't want to see you. I've been at shows where the where the person is talking to somebody and we're like, we don't, that wasn't part of our reality. <laughs> like, we really just want yeah. the next song or whatever. Yeah. It's, tar- it's hard, man. <laughs> <laughs> the more I intellectualize it, the, I make it worse. <laughs> uh, yeah. But big crowd theory is is tricky. I mean, it's different from, when you started, I have to imagine you were playing 250 people and then, uh, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> not that many. Oh, I thought you were, I'm like, oh, did you pop right away? I didn't know. No. So you'd be playing for tiny, tiny groups. Yeah. Was that worse? Is there a comfort in the blanket of 10,000 people? N- no, it's, no, no, none, none of it's comfortable. <laughs> Do you have any techniques now that you, some people yeah. get drunk, some people no, get stoned? No, I, you know, just, I'm, I'm, I keep saying I'm going through different... I'm just trying everything I can to try to get this to work. So yeah. recently, I've just been saying absurdly over-the-top false and positive things about myself. Like, um, <laughs> just, to yourself. Yeah, to myself. Yes. Um, even, like, not just in my head, but I'll, I'll be talking to myself on stage, like, you are fucking ruling right now. Yeah. Oh, my God. This next line of banter is just gonna kill them <laughs> so yeah i just just over this and it seems to be helping it does help yeah when I, I people that listen to the show have heard me tell this at least a dozen times but when i was first doing colleges so that's maybe a hundred people tops gonna be at the show but still nerve-wracking doing an hour for the first time i gotta say i from my perspective one of the thing one of the few things more frightening than what I do is would be doing stand up. Is that right? Yeah. It it is Brian Regan, who's a wonderful comedian, said it's kind of like being a musician, but you play the audience. And to that I add, sometimes your instrument doesn't show up. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes they're out of tune. Yeah. And sometimes they're rowdy or drunk or stupid. So yeah. it it can be really tricky. See, I and now I'm doing to myself what I was worried I was doing to you because when I think about it too much, I can have a more stilted set. Mm. Like if I go up and I'm like, how do I begin? I have a worse set. Mm. It's trying, we were talking about psyching yourself up and I totally do that as well. I also try to remind myself that it's not about the words. It's not about like, it's greater than the sum of what it is. Mm. It's not just the chords and nailing the chords in your case. And to me, it's not just pausing the exact right amount of time. Mm. It's something that we're building together, even if the audience does become this like kind of swirl of bees that they don't even know how to control themselves. Mm. But we all have to kind of like surrender into that. That's what it's about yeah. more than it is about me being like, who likes a comedian that's like, so I uh, just got a deli sandwich yesterday. Like everyone's like, this joke feels old. It's not real. He's not yeah. here. Yeah, it, that's important. Right? I mean, trying to, that's why I feel like whatever vulnerabilities you're experiencing, feeling them and even sharing them, I think, I'm sure people delight if you're just like, I'm really 
have you had that at, at all? Like, I'm really nervous right now. Like, or I'm freaking out or this is too many people. I, I, I would laugh if you were just like, wow, this is overwhelming and then rocked my dick off. And then we're like, you'd think I'd be having fun, but I'm not. Two, three, four. <laughs> that is pretty cool. <laughs> that's the stand-up comedian's approach. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> but to what, to what you were saying, I would do fake interviews with myself. And it's similar to what you were saying, where I would say, what's it like being the greatest comedian in the world? Wait, would, what's that? You do interviews? Like before the show. Before the show. Like in some shitty hotel. To yourself, yeah. I would just, in the mirror or not. But they say like, your brain is really, really stupid. Yeah. It's brilliant, but it's also stupid. So telling backstage you, you're the best this banter's going to kill, actually kind of works. It does. This is why I joke that this is why we buy Coca-Cola, because we're like, it is fun at the beach. You know what I mean? You're like, I will see a girl in a bikini, because your brain, brilliant and stupid. So I think that's a great technique. But you enjoy it, though. You're just nervous. The performing, I guess. It's it's so not even a question of enjoying. It's, It's just the craziest most intense thing um it's not it's not comfortable and relaxing right um it it feels important i don't know i don't know if that adds up to enjoyable like you feel fulfilled by it i'd yeah i'd feel like something was missing if i wasn't if i never performed right if i Retired to the studio like the Beatles or Beat or Brian Wilson or something. Right, right, right. I, I hear that. So this is like a. I got to tell you, as a stand-up, I relate to that as well. Which is, there's always a sort of thing where you're like, maybe you could. There's a lot of people. David Letterman. He he did a TV show. Um, there's just a lot of stand-ups who became actors, and that's our version of retiring uh, to the studio. Mm-hmm. Especially if there's no audience there. It's it's a more controlled, quiet. <laughs> Yeah. controllable environment. But then I wonder if you get that. I go back to performing live. Let's say if I'm taping something and then I do a live show and I remember firstly, Oh shit, I got to do this again. So you feel, feel the butterflies and you're like the risk reward. Isn't that great? <laughs> you know, yeah. It's like I could be humiliated. I could, but then you do it. So you feel the butterflies, you swallow the frog, you do it anyway. Do you get, a natural high from it or is it just more of an intellectual kind of like that was a good thing to do i do um if i really yeah recently i've been giving it everything i have and there's definitely a high that comes with it i love Um, that yeah to have something to do that yeah um definitely come off stage hooting and hollering and (laughs) cussing <laughs> that's how you do it, motherfucker. That yeah. sort of stuff. That's a, that's so few people we get to feel that way. It's such a privilege, such a wonderful thing huh. to go off and go, woo! <laughs> that's, that's reserved for like Olympic skiers and huh. stuff. It's so cool. What does it feel like to not perform, though? I mean, is it because I sleep better when I'm performing? I, I I tend to be healthier. Like I love myself a little bit more when you're like, when I, when I'm getting that yeah outlet. So how does it work for you? Do you like do a tour every year or because the way it works for musicians now is you're never really done. You're, you do <laughs> like a Bob tour, Dylan. but <laughs> yeah, but then that. you come home and you're writing during the week recording and then on the weekend you go out again and right. it's just kind of year round. When, 
when you're a comedian, it's a little bit similar. I just think we have less shelf life. We're like on un- unrefrigerated milk in that like no one wants to hear say it ain't so from me. <laughs> you oh, know what I mean? Like a twenty twenty uh how many years is it? A twenty three year old song? Exactly. Yeah. Like if I if there's a different joke. premium on Matt yeah. McCarthy, one of my dear friends, has a bit about it, the double standard with music and comedy mm. is that if you went out and played Pinkerton like Jimmy Eat World did that. They they just tour and play an album. Sells out. Mm. <laughs> In order. Mm. <laughs> and I get it. I almost I almost went to that show, you know what I mean? Like I get it. So that 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 enables more touring, I think, for a musician. Um with a comedian, I think we get to work out an hour, a new a new album, and you can only do that for so long and then you record it. And then you drop it off, and then it takes you a really long time to write the next one. So there's more. And then you're just doing local shows. Yeah. It would be like just playing, I don't know if you've ever played, like Largo. You just go work out Largo once a month and try and build the hour. And then you go a hard five months of touring, and then you're off. Mm. Um, so I don't Five know. months. I don't know. It wouldn't be constant. I'm not saying like out on the road. It would be like what you're doing. Right. Okay. Thursday through back on Sunday. Um, which now that I say it isn't that bad, but I haven't been on the road in a long time, so I'm kind of romanticizing. I'm like, that kind of mm. sounds nice. But when you when you first talk about a 23 year old song, when your first record came out and then you toured, you you got burnt out and you were like, fuck this shit. Yeah, I was I was severely burned out, and just I, from I, doing it over and over and over. And um, yeah, and you know, uh, it's just. It was another one of those moments where I had this lifelong dream since I was a kid uh, of what it was going to be like to be a rock star. And then uh, I am a rock star suddenly, and it's nothing like what I imagined. And, yes. Um, what, what, was, what were the disappointments? The feeling on stage, you're not feeling the kiss. Yeah, well, that's a big one. And then there's definitely the, you know, the, the, the dream was to, I was metalhead as a teenager and it was like to have groupies and to mm. like, mm. I just have the one massive party and, um, <laughs> and it wasn't like that at all. It's for alternative rock guys right, in, right. In, in 1994. And, uh, I'm thinking of like old Metallica footage where they were just like constantly flooded by women and like yeah. Van Halen tank tops that are like very low and lot of craziness yeah and it that wasn't came to you yeah it yes. all, it, you just all you had to do is do your music and yeah. all this great stuff came to you <laughs> and when we first broke in 94 it's um we uh our our fans were like nine ten years old and hmm. um wait when you first broke in 94 your fan base was they were yeah children they were, yeah they were children no really yeah. Yeah, um, I don't, uh, I think... You were Cars 3? <laughs> How can this be? Because <laughs> I was older. I was a teenager. But In 94? Yeah, so you... And did well, you immediately get into Weezer, or did it take some time? I was I was really into Green Day and, and uh, Rancid and all that stuff, so like mm-hmm. I loved pop punk music. Yeah, is, I think is our is fans were a little term? younger. Okay, so I, I was, uh, now that I'm saying it, that means I was 15, which means I'm only five years off from 10, but yeah. it sounds and so... And even 15-year-old 15, even 15 fans are like, wait, right. what are, what are, hmm. Exactly. I'm, what am I going to do? I'm 24. I'm not bringing a keg. I, I, <laughs> I came here high on root beer. Like, this is like children. Yeah. So you're right. There was kind of an appeal there, and it did crack in that way. 
And I was also disillusioned because there, um, I didn't get the, I didn't get like personal recognition as a songwriter and the mm. visionary of the band. And I've, I, I maybe I, I, I hoped at least I was going to get that. And it there was, there was no identification of me as, as the guy behind it all. And people weren't interviewing you in the way that you were hoping. Yeah. Like they weren't going like rivers. Cause now we know. We know about yeah. Google Sheets. We know about your technique. I hear rumblings and rumors. You you have like an iconic status where it's like, do you know Rivers studies pop music? <laughs> you know, it's like any any melodies and he writes uh, uh, melodies on the piano because his voice is too lazy to do it as elegantly. And I'm like, oh wow! So you've you've got there yeah. now. But then yeah. they were just like, so what's it like uh, rocking out at Bataru? <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember it was, uh, all the questions were, what was it like working with Rick, Oca- uh, Rick Ocasek? They would mispronounce yeah. his name. And <laughs> what was it like working with Spike Jones? And that was every interview. That's it. Yeah. Um, That's so interesting. Because you are, you hold yourself to a very high standard. And it seems to me like a lot of your work is trying and succeeding at showing your range. And then it seemed you put out a record. Didn't I read that you felt it was so simple that, you know, the, the songs were more simple than your ability and you didn't understand what all the buzz was about? I just summarized a time in your life. The first album? Accurately, yes. <laughs> um, you know, I, th- I heard it in a completely different way. Uh, than the press did. Mm. I thought it. Was, I thought we were like the next Nirvana, like a very serious, dark, heavy, important artist. Mm. And um, I remember when we turned on our record, the A and R guy at the record company said, "This is great, but you know, people are going to say you guys are funny and goofy. Mm. That's how the world is going to take your music." Mm. And I was crushed, and I wasn't sure I believed him either. But he was right, and that's that's how that record was taken at the time. What was it? Too too bright? Too too many major chords? I mean, do you you have an understanding of what what people were? Definitely. I mean, uh, we just, we changed the the mode from minor to major. We're singing in, in major keys mm. and singing about uh, more old fashioned themes like girls and surfing and stuff, mm-hmm. and like the Beach Boys, like a Beach yeah. Boys kind of feel. And, but it, it was kind of uh, in a, there's some sense of irony there, like like how the Velvet Underground appropriated a, the, the chord progressions of an earlier, t- more innocent time. So, mm. so there's something more, something dark about it or, or more experienced. And um, I think people didn't get that at first. You were looking for people to look past it. Yeah, like it's not just what it is. It's yeah, also there's, there's layers right to that record, and but they just ate it like cake. Yeah, and that broke your heart. Yeah, and so on top of all that, there's just all the um, the touring and the hard work, and um, I think I just needed a break. Right. So you get off stage, and it's not champagne choked. <laughs> champagne choked, Sam- champagne soaked white t-shirt girls no. flooding you. <laughs> what was it? Because I'll tell you, I've done large shows. Then you go back, and it's like an embarrassingly bad hotel and yep. snack machine for dinner. Yep. And you're like, this, this, D- yeah, this is what it is. <laughs> and and I'm not doing what you're doing. You're like 
sending literally like on a, a like a physical like physics way you're sending shock waves of of sound of acoustics over thousands of people really changing their physiology and moving them i can't imagine what it would be like to come back feel misunderstood and not know where to put that energy because there isn't an after party <laughs> yeah no no after party and um just got into a dark space and got and got interested in in studying again and Mm. Just come back to the bus and read. and See, that makes so much sense to me. Mark Duplass just did this podcast uh, a week ago. We were talking about soul points, right? And there are these things that take from our soul, and then there are things that feed our soul. So when I see you do a record like that, and I love that, everybody loves that record, and then you're performing and you're giving of your soul, but you're not getting any back. That's what, what we're kind of, you're getting some back, but not enough. You're still in the hole. So when I see you going mm. to Harvard, I'm like, of course. Yeah. Of like it doesn't there's no part of it that doesn't make sense to me. I'm like he wasn't eating. He was giving, but he wasn't receiving and did that start filling in some of those gaps for you? Oh yeah, it was uh super exciting and I was only there a month or so and then I was like, yeah, I want to get back to the band now. <laughs> <laughs> you just needed a semester like yeah. half a semester. Yeah. Um <laughs> And I got super inspired, and then we made the second record. But what do you do now, now that you know that lesson? And does that make sense, the soul point idea? It's like we, we have to give, but we also have to receive. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's super intriguing. Uh, I'm, I, I'll, have to, I'll have to live with it for a little while. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, I, it's, does creating feel like giving or or that i'm being depleted of a resource i'm not sure because mm. a lot of times i feel like i've received something or that uh, oh, i feel great. energized um i'm happy to hear that so I, i'll but I'll, I'll be thinking about that well you just caught me doing something i do constantly which is projecting myself onto you which is i sometimes in making i just made a tv show a second season of a show and by the end of it i was like i need to read a book <laughs> you know mm. what i mean so that that's my experience but i also know what you're talking about when i do a show i'm like what a scam yeah like it was mutually <laughs> beneficial like it, it's i also received something by doing this so i get that but when you're trying to protect yourself let me phrase it this way when you're tr- trying to protect yourself from burnout from just hitting fuck show business, you in your life, when you're trying to strike that balance of like feeling fed, giving, learning, you seem like a very big growth person. The next thing, how do I not do what we've done before? Is that one of the ways you ward off the feeling you got after the first record? By trying new things? Yeah, just growing and and moving forward or mixing up your routine. Um, I think I th- my thinking now is just to make um, make make a greater effort at uh, recovery, and that doesn't that's kind mm. of an oxymoron. Um, so <laughs> you can try to recover. That's exactly what we're talking about. Y- yeah, I, I guess historically, um, I'll uh, on tour, I'll, I'll wake up and immediately start working on music and creative ideas, and um, I think this we're planning a big tour now. So maybe do the opposite of that. Mm. And I'm not sure that's see, I have to figure out what that is. And, um, we're similar in that way. I don't re- know reading and, um, playing golf or, um, is that what you do? 
Um, no, but I could, I could do it. <laughs> You're like me. Golf, I've never golfed. Golf is still a thing that I go, maybe at some point, yeah. I'll be one of those guys. No, I, I just, I just started it, um, and not, uh, not out of any particularly strong inclination. It was more just like I arrived at it as maybe that's the thing I should do. Mm. Um, so I went golfing with the OK Go guys, hmm. and it was fun. I like being outside and walking and being with other people. Uh, so that can re- recharge the batteries a little bit. Yeah. I like hitting balls and into <laughs> holes and uh, swinging clubs. And <laughs> Wait, it sounds like you would love golf. Yeah, it, it, really seems, sounds it seems like, like I would like it. Really? You're <laughs> up right up your alley. I think that's very great. What about... Um, you're you're in this, and I know I don't want to go back 23 years. I'm sure you do plenty of interviews where people just want to talk about that time. But I am interested in this, in the broader way, where time for uh, a wife and a life comes in. Just as a, as a fellow artist, a lot of artists listen to this. It's like, where, like Gilbert Gottfried did this yesterday. And I was like, where in all of our weird neuroses... And Gilbert's a hoarder. He's taking hotel soaps and keeping them in boxes and stuff. It's like, where oh, cool. in this journey? Yeah, I know. And, and it, I mean, don't argue with the results. He's doing a good, a good thing. He's a great comic. Where, though, in all of your Google Sheets and, and spanning all this technique of songwriting, do we find the soul points to share with a partner and meeting and finding? And you write a lot of songs about pursuing women getting hurt if i'm reading it correctly there's yeah. there's some jealousy that i used to relate to i used to blast no one else in yeah. my car just like because i was with like a big brassy sexy woman that i was like and she loved everybody and i was like mm. fuck you <laughs> like, i can't <laughs> handle this and you helped me exercise my jealousy not exercise exorcise yeah. in the car blasting it when my wife left me i i played um across the sea i know that's not what it's about but I was just like, why are you so far away from me? These feelings were so helpful in your music. So you've dealt with these feelings. Where and how, what is your love theory? How did, it, how did you find them? I know it's a big question. Yeah. We can take it in small parts, though. How did you meet your wife? <laughs> okay. Um, also, thank you for those songs. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, it feels really good to hear that somebody... R- you know, really tuned into exactly what I was feeling and that I captured that feeling in oh my God. Sa- sound vibrations. Yes, or, I, sonically. It's, it's weird. And these songs, kind of like what you're saying, that are major key, are full, you know, beautiful. It's, it's not the kind of stripped down opening of Rape Me, but it's this big, beautiful sound. Crying, you know what I mean? Like really... When you're going through a divorce, you wouldn't think in a movie you wouldn't put Weezer on necessarily, but I'm putting Weezer on, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it that's what it felt like. So I think maybe that was getting to what you were saying, that there's more to the records than just like a a, a, a colorful sound, like a yellow sound. Yeah. Um, but that R- goes back really trying to express some something deep and, and real, uh, w- yeah. which is different from just fabricating a, a, a nice um, uh, genre tune, you know? Yes. 
Yeah. But that's a great place to hide a real feeling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or not even hide, but you know, it's, it's, a, it's yeah. a fun place to put it instead of, I don't know, in, a, in an emo record. Right. Probably. Yeah. Get both layers. Exactly. Salty sweet. Um, but where did I, the, the simple question is you're out. Like I'm thinking of like the the butterfly song, you, you find women, and then what you yeah. want goes away. So that, I think of that, that whole record is is being about my frustration with trying to find a wife, a life partner, and, and you wanted that. I I I, I mean I'd mixed feelings. So part of me was still hoping for the the Motley Crue dream, and then part of me was like wants to have one person and to settle down. Um, I love it. I, I, this is a theme that keeps coming up. I want Kiss, but I feel James Taylor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and here you are wanting Motley Crue, and you're feeling John Denver. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I love it. That's how everybody feels. We have both. And on that record, I was spe- specifically frustrated by. Um, I, I had this dream that I would meet a person who I was so passionately in love with forever that that would overrule any. Motley Crue dream I had mm. and but whenever I f- thought I found that person and you know started to move forward my that feeling would die mm. and it didn't last forever and and then I was uh, a, a victim of of my baser instincts again so that's what that whole album is about Pinkerton. yeah and that comes through Absolutely, to try and find a partner that's bigger than a than a than a three way. <laughs> that's those are big, those are big shoes. Those are big. Your words, to not mine. <laughs> <laughs> but then, it's so nice to me. You you are married, yeah, and you've been married for a while. Yeah, how long's it been? Ten years. That's. I mean, see, when you grow up listening to those records. Pinkerton being about those feelings, it does my heart well to see you finding that other flavor and finding some, I don't want to say success, but finding some, does it feel successful? Does it feel good? To to have got, you know, um, started and maintained this relationship and yeah. made this commit, kept this commitment. Yeah. It's, I'm pretty proud of it. Yeah. And uh, I, it's in 2000. Three, I bottomed out, and um, I, I think at that point um, I got into meditation, mm. and it's a very, very serious tradition, serious teacher. And he said, "If you want to get into the the long courses where you're sitting for twenty, thirty, forty-five days, you have to either be celibate, committed celibate for the rest of your life, or to be in a lifelong committed relationship." And then I, I was then I realized like well I can't, I can't be celibate but <laughs> I and I really want to about the second one yeah, <laughs> I, I want to get into these long courses I, I want this is this is what I want to do with my life right so I I need to find a life partner well that's interesting because I when I read that you were raised on an ash, ashram and then you were into meditation and then when I heard that you were you abstained from sex until you got married. My first thought was, oh, spiritual energy. Like that I, I used to think that we didn't jerk off or have sex because Jesus was mad at us. And then I learned that there is something to what I think these yogis know, 
reserving those energies because they can elevate our frequency a little bit. Was that something that was in the mix that this guy was like, either have one or none because we need this chi or whatever you want to call it for, for bigger work? I don't think so. Um, I, I, I've, I've had that story in my mind for a long time, too, and I've, I've played with it at, at earlier times, actually. But I think his thinking is, isn't so much in that tradition, but more mm-hmm. in the tradition of the Buddha, which is more like um, that energy is uh, something that we all need to overcome. and Just it, desire. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. D- desire. Desire is is the the source of all our suffering. Right. And, um, you know, th- th- that libido is going to pass away anyway and uh, wanes as we get older anyway. But mm-hmm. in the meantime, at the very least, um, if you can't be celibate, then let's just stick with one person and, and you're going to find that it's it kind of fades <laughs> over the decades. <laughs> but that's part of it as well. That's yeah. the course of things. And, and you'll find that actually you end up... Um, more peaceful and happy. Mm. Um, so I, I, it's not so much about um, keeping the tra- trampling up this uh, energy and letting it build and then um, using it for creativity. I don't do that either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I, masturbating right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I like about the Buddha story. You know, the, the similar Buddha and Christ both went, uh, he sat under a tree and Christ went into the wilderness and all that. And they're tempted with different things. Mm-hmm. In the Buddha story, uh, the devil or whatever it's it's not the devil it's one of the gods straight tempts buddha with with pussy he's <laughs> just like you sure that's not in the bible the bible's like power uh i forget the other ones um but it, it, i don't think it's vagina <laughs> but i i like that idea and what something you said for me personally all of this and, and let me know if you agree is about figuring out some connection to what's like truly going on here, like meditation and marriage. Why marriage and why uh, sex or no sex or partner or no partner or whatever it is to try and get in tune with the pulse of the whole game? Is that, that to me is how I keep my soul points up is I'm like, why do, why have a conversation? Why do a podcast? Why listen to music? Why write a show? Why do anything? How, what does it tell me about the nature of reality is that one of your interests i think i would characterize it as um just from a pretty maybe like since age 20 i've just i guess i've been pretty focused on being creative and just figuring out what's in the service of that creativity and making it deeper and more profound and better more powerful and i've been pretty much willing to do anything to make that happen Hmm. and that is the spiritual path part of that yeah it, so the spirit is in service of the creativity. I mean, that's how I, that's how I first thought to try it. Mm-hmm. I tried everything else, and no, it seems very. It, it's in line with the Rivers Cuomo lore that I've heard that you would be like, I'm going to study it from my head, and I'm also going to study it from my heart. Is this you telling us that we have to wrap up? Yeah. Well, this is how we always end talking about the meaning of life. So this is perfect. What do you, when you started spiritual pursuits? It was to enhance creativity. How do you feel spiritually now? And and when we're, whenever you feel satisfied, we can be done. <laughs> um, this is all I care about, by the way. <laughs> yeah. The whole first part of the podcast. I, no, I was fascinated, but I just want to know what everybody makes of consciousness. 
you know, my my first meditation course and ever uh, every course since then, it's it's so profound. And um, when when I'm there, it really feels like, oh yeah, this is this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. Um, co- um, coming out of this mental habits and patterns and uh, get, getting some perspective on, on it all. So uh, I'm mm. not just reacting to everything. Mm. And it's, re- it's really the best use of my time. And Turning down the volume of your narrative, of your brain, yeah. that's telling you all these things and setting, setting that aside. And correct me if this is not right, but sitting in your essence, your true self. Is that how it feels when you're in the zone? On an island in the sun. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It, from from that perspective, it's just um, it's a lot easier to make decent choices and figure out which way I want to go and mm. what's best for everybody involved. You can more clearly hear your intuition. Yeah. So again, it it, it is very practical. Your your brain is ping ponging this way that way. You sit. Is it a mantra, or is that how you meditate? No. What, what, what's your style? I think there's two main branches of meditation in the U.S. now. Uh, one is mantra. Um, mantra. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what TM is, yep. where you're repeating some phrase over and over in your mind. Yep. And then there's the other branch is mindfulness, mm-hmm. and that's what I do. So you're not trying to transcend anything. You're just trying to be fully... Well, specifically, what I'm trying to do is um, sometimes it's concentrating on the sensation of my breath going yeah, in and out of my nose, yeah, or the sense other sensations in my body, yeah, and just observe them with as as much detail as I can and equanimity, so I'm not judging them as mm. painful or um, pleasant. Mm. Just being aware, opting out of the game, because all we're doing is my butt hurts. I should move my butt, and you're going. I'm just going to think about my breath. Yeah, I'm just going to feel it. Just feel that. Yeah. And be okay with it. Yeah. I feel like when I'm trying to explain meditation to someone briefly, I'm like, well, just sit and focus on your breath. But the part that's the hardest for people is go, don't object to any feeling. Is that in your practice as well? It's like, this is stupid, your brain says. And you just kind of, okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, um, and in our tradition, it's specifically the physical sensations. So the thoughts or those kind of um, judgments don't even come into play because you're you're just observing the physical sensation. Mm. And what about the big picture? Are, Buddha wasn't too concerned with what happens when we die or the idea of a god. How do you tell this story to yourself? We're we're floating on a rock. We're in infinity. We live, we die, we have all these feelings, we have intuition. It's mildly interesting, but it's not the object of the meditation, so right. I, don't, I don't really get caught up in it. So even when you're not meditating, like right yeah. now, like if, if uh, we knew the earth was going to explode in 20 minutes, it's like, would we just go like, okay, all right. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Like, what would you do? Um, I guess I tell myself I'd start meditating because I don't know. To try and go peaceably. Yeah. That's, yeah. My family's not here right now, so I don't know. 
Yeah. Do you believe in some sort of regeneration, though? You know, the Buddha talked about reincarnation. It's it's really outside the scope of of my the meditation I'm doing. So, but it, I haven't looked in your into ideology, it. Do you have a? I don't have much of an ideology. I love. Wow, you've done <laughs> some good work. Then you've let it. You've let it all go. See, to me, that isn't that. That seems like progress to me. Is that the the desire to know is another desire? Yeah, wouldn't you say? And that. Yeah. You can hear it on this podcast over the years. It does cause me suffering. Hmm. I enjoy it. But I also go like, well, what do you think? Can you offer me some equanimity? Hmm. And really what I'm hearing and, and seeing in you is what do you just chop wood and carry water, right? Yeah. Write songs, yeah. lyrics on Monday. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Melodies on Tuesday. And we tour sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's a beautiful, that's one of my favorite God talks ever, and it was actually one of the shortest God talks ever. But I think people will get a lot out of that. Um, the final question, if you if you'll allow, is because we talk about that and that talking about the world exploding is heavy. Can you think of a time that you laughed really, really hard? And it doesn't have to be a great story. You could be a kid. It could have been earlier this morning. Just when you think of yourself laughing till you cry, where are you? Um, it was in that alley. Yesterday morning, um, I was walking my daughter to school. We'd gotten about 100 yards down the alley, and then we hear from behind us, back to, back at the house here, my wife calling out, Mia, Mia, you forgot your book. <laughs> and she came out on, on my five-year-old scooter, <laughs> scoot, scooting down the alley as fast as she could. <laughs> it's a tiny little thing, I'm assuming. Yeah. It's, it's like a one-foot skateboard. <laughs> and she was so serious. <laughs> but she's on this little scooter. It's hilarious. See, that's when you're not supposed to laugh. Like, she's in dire straits and yeah. it's serious. And you're just observing. Yeah. That's when the biggest and best laughs have. <laughs> and for the for the people listening, especially the young people listening that are interested in creative pursuits, is there something that you would say, just to close out, what I see is a, a man who's figured out his weirdness. This podcast is called You Made It Weird. The things that make you original and the way your mind works and all those things. And maybe those things weren't always celebrated and it might have been strange growing up. And there are people listening like that that would love to be a rock star, even though it's not what we think it is, mm. and would love to be a comedian. So are there any great lessons that you've learned about songwriting or creativity or just life philosophies that really kind of you carry around and change your life for the better? Because you've done something extraordinary. Yeah, I <laughs> mean... you're doing it. Yeah, I, I, I really... Uh, I really identify with those people who are, are struggling with that, that conflict, that conflict between, you know, wanting to fit in and wanting to succeed in the world. And yet they feel like they're just different and weird. Mm. That's definitely where I came from. Me too. Yeah. And uh, there's nothing you can tell a person like that, um, that will, will make that conflict resolve. Um, but I would say like, yeah, like be fucking weird. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's really what you have to offer the world yes. and it's it's going to res- resonate eventually so um just just do it and um the meditations helped me a lot uh my teacher you can find there's centers all over the world it's uh, dhamma.org d h a m m a.org try it out or 
there's other techniques and it can help you uh be more a little more comfortable with um your weirdness yeah go for it zoom out a little bit yeah relax a little bit mm-hmm. i think that's wonderful stop worrying what people think yes <laughs> it's such an honor to meet you man i, I hope it's clear that i'm a, a really big fan of what you're doing and thank you for letting us in your house and uh, we have, this is silly, but I like silly. We have the guest say the catchphrase, which is keep it crispy. It's like doing, you just have to say it. That's it? You don't even have to say it if you don't want to. You just say oh. keep it crispy. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Keep it crispy. <laughs> it always makes me laugh. <laughs> I want to know how they're going to do it. And it's always what I want, but not what I expect. Thank you so much, Rivers. This was a joy. Thank you. Now leaving Nerdist.com.